Okay, got it. Ready? <clears throat> You're listening to Paul Elmore. Paul Elmore. <laughs> Shh. Good evening, everybody. Thank you again for coming out on a Thursday, the week, the week before Christmas, with a lot of stuff to do. Um, my name is Paul, and the reason I am privileged and actually honored to come and to speak to some of your kids and now to, to speak to you uh, is kind of the unique niche uh, that I sit in, kind of within the community. Uh, my day job during the week is sitting with uh, men and women, anywhere from you know late adolescence on up to, I had a client this week in her um, 60s, who have been impacted or hurt in some way by um, either poor sexual choices of themselves or of other people on them. So sitting with um, sexual abuse um, survivors, uh, men and women who are struggling with sexual addiction, as well as couples and families that are impacted by all of those, all those issues as well. So the reason I believe I was asked to come in and kind of um, speak to the students here at the school, um, I was actually asked to kind of target two main areas. And this is an incredibly broad topic. We can talk about all sorts of stuff. Um, but I was asked to target kind of um, two main areas, pornography and then this new phenomenon called sexting. And we'll talk a little bit about that. That is kind of the, the main focus of what I had a chance to, sh to talk to and share with the students. But I've been doing this long enough and I can remember sitting in many, many classes and chapels and things like that, listening to people come in talking about making good sexual choices and all that stuff. And after about the first four minutes, I start to glaze over, I start to check out because I'm not as flashy and as, and as entertaining as you know, The Simpsons and everything else that's on TV. Their attention span's gotten much smaller. So what I attempted to do, instead of coming and just talking to them, telling them what to do or what not to do, I wanted to, I wanted to get their opinion, their feedback, what are their thoughts. And so the question is, how do, you, how do you get adolescents to talk about sex in a large group? Because, you know, you say the word sex and everyone either starts looking away or blushing or making really, you know, funny noises. And so <laughs> how to find to do that appropriately is a little bit of a challenge. So what, what we've done over the last couple of weeks is, is I put together a 40-question survey around some of those issues, around primarily relationships, sex, um, and sexting. Those kinds are the, those are the three main areas and a whole variety of, of uh, questions. I gave that to the students, and that was a completely anonymous survey. There was no names. I have no way of tracking who said what and when and why. And I'm also uh, not naive enough to believe that I got totally honest answers on those, okay? Even though they're anonymous, even though they can't track it, I know that I probably didn't get 100% you know, infallibility right here. But I think it pr prompted some conversation, and I think that we are in the ballpark of accurate, maybe not I, I'm not, I don't think I would publish a paper based upon this findings, okay? But I think it gives us some place to work because if you listen to students, if you listen to kids, they really are smart. They really do want to tell you what they think. And I don't, I don't believe we give them enough opportunity to be heard 
um, around some of these issues like this. One of the things I told them is they are in adolescence. What that means is they are moving from childhood, where they have no power, to adulthood within the span of 18 years. And by the time they hit 18, they're supposed to be able to survive on their own. If I get hit by a bus, I want my kids to know how to pay rent and how to change the oil in their car and how to have healthy relationships. And so that thought process begins not at 18. They don't hit 18 and all of a sudden they have all this, okay, now I know what to do. That gets acquired as they get older and older, starting, you know, practically 11, 12, somewhere in there, they get the, the big issues they start to get wrestling with. So I wanted to honor some of their opinions and some of their thoughts. So gave them the survey, they filled it all out. I took it home, crunched the numbers for several hours, putting together all the information and then came back last Friday and presented it to them saying, here's what's happening in this room right here. This isn't national stats. This isn't national averages. These are the beliefs and the impact or the ideas that you guys hold and carry. And it was a fun morning. There was, um, there was a lot of laughter, there was a lot of gasping, there was some silence in the room as we talked about some of the ramifications of some of these things. Um, and what I want to do is I want to present to you some of that same information, but that information and then some. I want you to have some more information that I didn't give them yet. I want you to have it first so that you can start to ask yourself questions and chew on it um, so that you as a, as a school body, school parents, can decide what do we want to do with this information? How do we want to use this to help protect and better our children? How do we become better parents? So that's kind of what we're going to do tonight. And I just realized I forgot my little clicker button here. So grab that real fast. Perfect. Um, there are half sheets of paper floating around here if you didn't get one of those. You are welcome and encouraged to write down any questions that you might have, either throughout this presentation or whatever, because there's going to be a Q&A time at the end, just to ask the, the questions that you might have. Um, sometimes those questions are hard to ask out loud, probably, so that's why you get to write them down, and I can read them. And again, nobody knows who's asking the questions. Here's the other thing, which is also kind of um, ironic about these meetings. I'm going to make an assumption that the parents in this room are probably already doing a pretty good job because you're here, you're invested, you're taking the time to do the work, and that the parents who aren't here, I know this busy and all sorts of other stuff, but um, this is information I think lots of parents need to hear, and it's a shame that many of them aren't here. So um, I appreciate your willingness to come in here and dialogue around some of this. All right, ready to go? Questions at all before we get started? Okay. That survey is available for anyone who wants it. I'm not hiding it. I'm not keeping it hidden. Um, so um, I know that the school has a copy of it. You can get a copy of it there, or I'll get you a copy. I didn't bring hard copies with me. I love, okay. Phil has that, so you can talk to Phil. Um, first question that we asked them, have you had the talk? Does anyone know what I mean by the talk? the birds and the bees, the plumbing, the this is, you know, how this all works. Here's the answer that showed up. For the boys, 72% said yes. And again, I know these don't total up to 100%. This was um, of those who answered. Not everyone answered every question. So of the boys who answered, 72% said yes, I have had the talk. Ladies, almost half have not, according to them. They have not had 
any interaction. No one sat them down and said, here is what we do, here's how this works. Which, right out of the gate, makes me start asking several questions because you're gonna see how this statistic starts to play into some other information throughout, throughout some of the other questions as well. But that's what we're looking at at the moment. Um, where have you learned about sex? Again, another interesting question. Here's their answers. Number one was the media, number two is friends, and number three is parents. That's for the guys. That surprise anyone? All right, ladies, that was their answer. Same answers as well. One of the options on there was um, pastors or church. Here's how that ranked. That didn't rank at all. That just didn't show up. They're not getting that information according to them, according to their reactions. They're not being informed or educated about sex or sexuality. Um, that's not to assume that it isn't being taught. It's assuming that it's not sinking in, okay? Um, which raises the question, if media is the primary source, back in the 50s, this is what they learned about sexuality. What show is this? I Love Lucy. Yeah, and what do you notice about the beds? There's two of them, which is, I would probably argue, a um, unique um, furniture arrangement in households today. That's back in the 50s. The show almost got canceled because they used the word pregnant on air. Do we live in a different culture now? They almost canceled the I Love Lucy show because they wanted to say the word pregnant. They brought in a whole bunch of um, religious experts to say, is this okay, is this not okay, because of the morality codes back in the day. Compare that to this group of people. Anyone know who those are? Friends. Friends. TV show ran for about six or seven seasons. I um, did some quick calculations real fast and I totaled up the number of people each character slept with over the series run. Here's the numbers that showed up. J um, Chandler slept with 10 different people. This is documented, okay? This isn't assumed, this is documented. Chandler slept with nine, uh, 10 people. Um, Monica slept with 14. Rachel slept with 17 different people. Ross slept with 15. Phoebe at 14, and we're going to leave Joey for the last at 21. 21. You do the math, it's 91 different partners of between six people. So again, this is just a different culture, different time from what it was in the past. And if that is the number one teacher, we have to take that into account. We have to understand that, all right, they might not be getting the same message that they might be getting sitting here or sitting in a classroom. And if we wanted to do the math on how much time they're sitting here versus how much time they're being inundated by the media, you know, that might be shocking as well. Um, if you had questions about sex, who would you ask? Not where have you learned, but okay, I'm wondering where do I go? This is their answers. The boys, you guys. That's where they would go first. 41% said we're going there. Friends, no one, you know, don't ask, don't tell, just not going to ask anybody. The internet, that's a fantastic resource. And then um, Phil showed up on this one, okay, he's, he's actually here. Ladies, 25% um, said parents. Again, that's a stark number, that's three quarters aren't going to parents. That makes me ask the question why again. Friends, 
That's not surprising. Girls tend to be more relational. Friends tend to be safer. That's where they're going to make their primary um, or probably the secondary. No one is actually up in there in the same number. So basically three quarters is represented in those first three um, statistics right there. And then the internet and then Phil's in the game again if you had questions about sex. That's the one that worries me, okay? If they're not asking anybody, and that's making up a large, you know, that's not quite half, but that's still a large number of people, of students saying, I don't feel comfortable asking anybody. Why is that? Um, what are they learning about sex that isn't safe for them to ask? Another one, and this was a, a fun, it's always interesting to see how students think now and then we grow up and we're now parents and we realize we might not have known everything when we thought we knew everything, right? So here's a question. How important is the relationship part of dating? How important is it to the guys and how important is it to the girls? Everyone answered the question. So here's what was answered. The girls said for the boys, it's a five out of 10. It's a 50%. So that line represents girls believe for all the guys relationship, the emotional part is only a five out of 10. The boys, they said, it's a seven out of 10. We actually have feelings. We, we are engaged. We want to be part of this relationship thing. We are, you know, it's important to us. And then what they answered for the girls, boy said, it's a 10. That's the main part for, for the ladies. And then the ladies answered about themselves, it's a nine. So not too far off there. And that would probably match some, I would argue, stereotypes that are out there. Relationships are more important to the girls than they are to guys. But that, that seven number is, is really important. Again, guys have feelings too, but who really cares? That's usually the way it goes. Um, a national study says 66% of guys would rather have a girlfriend without sex than sex with no girlfriend. And what I wanted the students to hear is the male population, the boys who are in this school, um, they actually are more than the stereotypical hormonal crazy sex crazed, you know, guys. Give them a little bit more credit than that. Don't, don't make those assumptions. That's probably not fair and will taint the way you relate to them. So I wanted to point that out to them, which asks the question, what is a guy's primary need? I call it the two S's. Okay. Women have one primary need. Men have another primary need. They start with S. It's not the one you think. Okay. As everyone always goes there. Um, what any guesses what a man's primary need starts with the letter S? This is where you can shout the answers back. Security? Security? No. Self-esteem? It's close. Yes, this is part of it. When they have self-esteem, they feel... Hmm? Success. Secure. Secure. Uh, not quite. Success is part of it. The word I use is significant. Men want to feel powerful and strong. They want to feel like they're making an impact. They want to feel like they're doing something and that their life isn't worthless. Men find that in two primary areas. 
I get to talk to the men now, not, not the boys here. Okay, men find it in two primary areas. What they do for a living, their occupation, and um, their relationship with their significant other. That if you have a really bad relationship, a man's dying inside, even if he doesn't really tell you. And if he hates going to his job, it's just death. So I wanted them to hear that early. I didn't learn that until I was married several years. I didn't, you know, no wonder. That's what all the conflict is arising in our marriage. When I'm trying to do something to make me feel strong, but it's compromising her primary need, which we're going to get to in a second, that's perfect recipe for conflict. So we're talking about relationships and how those things work. I wanted them to hear that earlier than I heard it. How important is the physical part of dating? Same kind of thing here. Here's what the ladies answered. They said, for the guys, it's a nine. That's the important part. The guys answered about themselves, it's a nine too. <laughs> we like the physical part because that plays into the significance piece again. Even though they're young, if you can woo a woman and be successful at that, you are, you're just great. It boosts your ego. Yeah. For women, for the ladies, the guys answered, it's a four. It's no big deal. What do you think? What do you think the ladies answered? Anyone want to give it a guess? Higher or lower than four? What do you mean by physical? Sexual, uh, physical touch. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Here's what they said. A six. So, again, the stereotypical models here, I think they started to challenge it just a little bit and says, you know, ladies are also interested in having meaningful physical touch as well. So we challenge some of that. <sighs> we looked at this national average that says 53% um, of men say having lots of hookups makes a guy more popular. So if you can, by the way, does everyone understand the definition of hooking up now? It's different than when I was in high school. Everything changes. Okay. Hooking up tends to be a, um, some sort of sexual experience. Might not be full-blown intercourse, but it is some sort of um, sexual exchange to some level. Um, usually beyond kissing. That broad range between kissing and sex. So somewhere in there. But 76% don't think the same of girls. So what I wanted the students to hear from that is, is for men to feel good about themselves, they are, they are potentially using these sexual experiences to, to boost themselves, to, to gain this ego about themselves. But they might be using uh, a smaller group of women over and over and over again. Because if women aren't allowed the same rules, if they're not allowed to have as many hookups um, to boost their ego, in fact, it diminishes their ego, um, how do men, how do guys treat girls? How do they see them? If they're objectifying them, if they're using them to boost um, their own prowess, their, their, own, their own ego, then they're not relating well to ladies. That makes sense? Questions at all about any of that? guys are an easy crowd. This is just wonderful. And then we jumped into this question here. Have you ever seen pornography? I didn't define it, okay? So there's going to be some, some wiggle room here. Um, but have you seen pornography? 
Boys answered, 85%, yes, I have. And the ladies, 56%. Those are the numbers for this room, this school here. 85 and 50, 56. And then the question was, how? How did you come across that? And for the guys, here's what they said. They were curious, so they went looking. They actually pursued it. That was their number one answer at 42%. Accidentally, so they were exposed to it in some way, or someone purposefully exposed them to it. They were shown that, hey, do you want to look at this? Those are the numbers for the guys. For the ladies, those are some very different numbers. Accidentally it pops up or someone has shown that and again according to the people who answered none of them actually went pursuing it and looking for it This slide here. I didn't give them this information, but I wanted you to have it. What grade did that happen? When were you first exposed for the guys? These are real numbers. Uh, these aren't percentages. So kind of that spike in sixth grade 15 of um, Male students answered sixth grade is when it happened and then it kind of tapers off both ways to make this nice curve. Um, for the ladies, they are a little bit more metered out, um, fifth or sixth, seventh, and eighth. But that sixth grade seems to be a good year, apparently for either the curiosity or them being shown or accidentally being exposed. This number right here would probably explain why um, the school thought it was important for both the junior hires and high schoolers to hear this information because they've already been exposed to this. A lot of them have. Not everyone has, but a lot of them already has, um, which is, isn't that disappointing? Isn't that discouraging? Um, I really wish we had some time to talk about how this impacts relationships and perspectives. I should have brought it. Um, when I was 10 years old, my uh, family took a trip to Colorado where my aunt and uncle lived, and their house was right across the, river, uh, right across the street from a nice lake. It had, you know, bass and trout and everything in it. And I grew up in San Diego, so the only fishing I had ever done was, you know, off of a boat out in the ocean or in the channel and, you know, saltwater fishing. And I'd never done any lake or, or stream fishing. So my uncle said, hey, do you want to go fishing? I was 10, 11 years old, somewhere in there. And I said, sure, I'd love to go fishing. So he says, great, I'll wake you up at four in the morning tomorrow. And I says, you're going to do what? That's crazy. But yep, so we did. We got up, put on the waders, threw the um, tackle over our shoulders, and walked across the street. Waded into the water, which was a whole new experience for me, freezing. And then he says, would you like to catch a bass? And I said, sure, I, you know, I'd love to catch a bass. He says, I'm going to give you the best lure I have. It's this little gold lure, had a tri hook on it. He says, with this with this lure, I guarantee you, you're going to catch, the, catch a bass the very first round out. I already know how to cast and everything, so he hooked it up for me. He says, you throw it out there, you let it drop down about 10 feet, and then you slowly start trolling it in to get the lure playing the right way. And if, if he wasn't dead on, first cast, start bringing this thing in, bam, I get hit. Okay, bring this thing in, it's a keeper bass. We throw it in the basket, rig up again, throw it out there, and within probably half an hour, we both caught limit. And I was amazed. I was shocked. We take the fish home, we clean them up, we, we 
He says, do you want to go get some um, biscuits and gravy? We walk down, very small town, we walk down the street, little local diner, and we have a big, huge steaming plate of biscuits and gravy. This memory is emblazoned into my mind. But what's emblazoned into my mind is when you say the word lure, the very first image that pops into my head is a gold cast master lure. I have one sitting on my shelf in my office because that experience now has created a template. Without me, without me even trying, when you say lure, that instantly pops into my head because that has now become the standard. Sexuality works the exact same way. Oftentimes, the first images, the first experiences that we have as children, especially middle school when our hormones are starting to just get juicing up and everything's going, and then we're exposed to some sort of graphic sexual image, that now becomes emblazoned and almost becomes this template for, oh, this is what sexuality is. Do you see how detrimental that can end up becoming for, for our kids? And if it's happening in sixth grade, um, either by curiosity or by accident for the guys or definitely by accident for the ladies, um, this is what skews our perspective on sexuality. And that's why I have a job. <laughs> which again is unfortunate because it, it, it wounds us in very personal and intimate ways. One of the questions that was asked, why are guys drawn towards porn so much? We're not gonna like the answer, okay? This is for the ladies. Guys, you don't have to listen here. Women, here's the answer. The most fragile thing on the planet is a male ego. We, again, want to feel strong. We want to feel important. And I can remember trying to muster up the courage to ask out a girl in high school. Scared the daylights out of me because what if she said no? What if she didn't like me? What if she made fun of me? What if my hair is looking bad? What if all this stuff? And I was terribly insecure, terribly scared. And I would argue that 99% of all guys are because we don't want to risk that significance piece. So, wouldn't it be nice if there was an avenue where we could, we could experience something which is a guaranteed. We can look at this image and here's a woman who is looking back at us with these desirous um, looks and postures and positions and she never says no and we don't risk anything. It's a guarantee every time. That becomes incredibly attractive. That becomes incredibly um, addictive, and it doesn't take long. As I work with um, men who are wrestling with sexual addiction, um, the same brain chemistry is going on with a sexual addiction as it is with amphetamines. The same parts of the brain light up, and what actually happens is with pornography addiction, um, you become addicted to your own brain chemistry. You get that rush of the endorphins and all those other chemicals that start firing off. And it's really kind of sketchy because you can get, if you, if you have a substance um, abuse or a substance addiction, you have to find your next hit. You have to find the alcohol. You got to find the drink. You got to find the, the bag of Coke. You got to find something. But with pornography addiction, you carry your own supply. All you have to do is think, pull up an image. See how incredibly difficult that is? 
and more. I wish I could talk more about that issue, but this is about the kids. Oh, which now says if the pornography piece is a draw and that's playing in and this is their experiences, then sexting, for those who aren't familiar with sexting is, it is taking a um, image with a cell phone or some sort of mobile device of someone in a sexually uh, compromised position, whether they know it or not, okay? And most of the times it's, you know, it's, it's posed. Um, and then sending that to someone. That's, that's a, it's a sexual text message sexting. Have your friends, and I ask the friends question first is because it's always safer for students to talk about other people than themselves sometimes. So I wanted them to, to see if they could open that idea first. So have your friends ever received a sex? Received, not sent, but actually come onto their mobile device. For the guys, 47% said yes, and the ladies, 33%, so a third and almost half. Have your friends ever sent a sext message? They have the image on their phone or mobile device and then they send it to somebody else. 27%, yep, I know somebody who's done that. And the ladies, 18%. And now we ask the personal question, have you ever received a sext message? 20% said, yes, I have. So again, in this room, in this school, and then the ladies are at a 12%. That number doesn't surprise me um, because it's usually guys trading those pictures amongst each other or girls sending them to guys uh, as a way of this new type of flirtatious um, activity. So the increase in the guys, again, doesn't surprise me. Have you ever sent a sext message? Again, you have it on your phone and you send it to someone else. 12% says yes, and the lady said seven. The national averages for sending a sex message, 18% and 22%. Again, it's higher nationally because um, the girls are sending more of those. It's a little backwards in the numbers here. These, this would probably be one of the questions I'm not sure we get, got totally honest answers on. Um, I would just doubt it, but we'll use the numbers that we have. So those are the average numbers that we're, that we're seeing nationally. 51% of women say they were pressured from guys to send the explicit messages. They were asked, coerced, manipulated, pushed, something like that. Um, over half said, this is why I sent this message. Again, talking about how girls need, how the guys need to treat women. Um, that's an important conversation. But then I asked a feelings question. Being a counselor, I'm required to do that at least once a day. I got to ask someone their feelings. So we asked the feelings question. How did you feel about getting a sext message? The guys, their number one answer was, we thought it was funny followed by uncomfortable, confused, and weird. That just made me feel weird. Number one answer was, we thought it was funny. Whereas the ladies answered, uncomfortable, offended, and confused. There was no funny answers at all for the ladies. And what's important about this is I asked a different question later on in the survey, which says, how well do you think you know the opposite sex? Which is an interesting question for junior high and high school students. Boy said, out of seven out of 10, I got them dialed in. I know what they're all about. 
Yeah, that was my response too. The girls might be a little bit more realistic. We're a little more confused. We just don't understand them. But with these numbers, with these numbers, and then you go back to this here, if the guys are thinking this is funny and we're sending it, and the national averages are saying girls are feeling pressured by this, guys, I'm not so sure you understand ladies as well as you think you do. <laughs> and it might be time to start studying and learning and watching and understanding how to treat, how to treat the women in your life much better. So, yeah, that's a fun question, isn't it? It gets even better, okay? Ladies, what is your primary need? What is it? I'm a That's okay. How well do you think you know women? <laughs> We're going to put the spotlight on you. Security. Security. Ladies agree or disagree? Predominantly, that's the, that's the thing. Safety or security. Women want to know that, that relationships are stable, that um, uh, situations are stable, um, and so that tends to be the drive for um, most of their relational stuff as well. So if the guys are in that engaging in a behavior that they think is funny, but it is offending, confusing, and making women feel bad, um, you're compromising that security within them. You're putting them in situations that make them uncomfortable, and that is not a very good way to relate to women. This is the stuff I wanted them to hear. Uh, from there, we had to go, because of the manipulation piece, because of the coercion piece, because of the we felt pressured, 51%. I wanted them to hear the definition of abuse because I work in an industry which talks a lot about that, and I want them to understand the working definitions of that. And I want you to understand that as well. Abuse primarily is an imbalance of power. So what I mean by that is this. You can have an imbalance of power due to age. If someone is three, four, five years older, than someone who's younger and they are manipulating or pushing, that is an imbalance of power. They have more life experience. Physical size or strength, they might be the same age, but they're bigger than you and can overpower you and they can scare you physically in that way. Um, experience, again, they might be the same age, but someone, and this happens quite often, um, one, um, we'll put it in the stereotypical numbers, a guy who has been um, sexually abused in some way has sexual knowledge sexual experiences to draw upon, which now says I'm, if I talk to someone else who doesn't have that, who is more innocent, and I push them into that thing, that would be considered an abusive relationship because that balance is imbalanced, that, that um, is non-equitable. Or mental awareness, um, someone who's developmentally delayed, they might even be older, um, but if they're um, not cognitively as aware or able to protect themselves, that, that is also considered um, an abusive situation. 66%, <sighs> this is a national one again, said it's, I'm sending a sexed message to be fun or flirtatious. They define it differently now, okay? Fun and flirtatious means we used to meet at the malt shop and we used to sit down and you know, drink a, a, a milkshake with two straws and that's being fun and flirtatious. Now, the definitions are different, the experiences are different. I wanted them to hear some of the legal definitions of all this stuff going on. 
Sexting is currently illegal under federal law. It falls under the creation, distribution, and possession of child porn and is a felony offense. That's statutes in the state of Oregon right now. Um, a person commits a felony of using a child in the display of sexually explicit conduct if the person employs, authorizes, permits, compels, or induces a child 18 or younger, not 16, 18 or younger, uh, to participate or engage in sexually explicit conduct for any person to observe or to record in a photograph, motion picture, videotape, or other visual recording. That is the definition on the books. Do you see how that might be problematic? Scary. Sexually explicit conduct is defined as actual or simulated intercourse, which means it wouldn't matter much to law enforcement officials in Washington County whether these two people actually had sex. It just had to look like they did in the photographs. The Friday that I took the surveys and gathered it, my wife and I went out to lunch, I forgot to bring the article, um, and in Willamette Weekly, big front page ad, it's all about sexting. And it was about a story of um, two people, a 19-year-old and a 16-year-old, who 19-year-old um, was sentenced to seven years. Now, I want to give you the definitions, but then I want to have a realistic conversation. Um, with the advent of technology, there's always adjustments that have to be made before it was possible for people to record and upload within minutes information or images. Um, it required someone to take premeditated, purposeful thought to now pursue someone and take a picture of them in a compromising position. And that is what a lot of these laws were kind of um, uh, constructed under that idea. Now that the advent of this technology, which makes this very much easier for anybody, anybody at all, to do this. They're actually having to re-examine the definitions because the reality is, I believe that kids are doing this out of a flirtatious, non-abusive mentality because they don't understand the ramifications of this, but they're not trying to um, exploit students. Does that make sense? So I want this to be measured, balanced. There are some who do. There are some who purposely, intentionally are trying to manipulate and exploit people, and that's who this law is designed for. The reason I wanted the students to have this is because, especially in Washington County, they are the highest in Oregon right now for prosecuting sexting um, crimes. They did 19 this year. Every other county is one or two. So. This is where this article took place and this 19 and 16 year old kind of stumbled into this. Um, their behavior at the moment, even though the intentionality of it might be innocent, shall we say, shall we say um, they still run the very real risk of getting in trouble in a very real way, okay? And I wanted them to have that information. I do not believe sexting is good. <laughs> I want you to hear that very, very clearly. I don't think it's appropriate, good, wise to expose yourself or your sexuality um, and then put it out there for everyone to see. I think there is some very important reasons not to do that. 
I think scripture talks very clearly about not doing that. Um, I think that it protects our hearts and our minds um, by guarding some of that. I know that up here, I carry that conviction. But wouldn't it be nice if our kids actually did what we told them to? If that's how it worked, and I only had to tell my kids how to behave right, I'd have the smartest kids in the world because I tell them over and over and over. So unfortunately, the reality for most adolescents is they will hear what they should or shouldn't do and still step into those compromising situations as well. So how to get that more congruent is what would be really, really important. Ironically, um, something called Measure 73, which took effect December 2nd of this year, so two weeks ago, mandatory 25 years in prison for two pictures. What that means is if one picture is on a phone, um, if there is a second different picture the next day, that's considered two offenses. And statute 73, it's kind of the three strikes rule, except it's now it's down to two. It also applies to drunk driving and things like that. It's a mandatory minimum sentence of 25. Scary, isn't it? It's a little disturbing. This is why I wanted the students to have this information so they might reconsider what is fun <laughs> and flirtatious. All right? I just threw a ton of information at you. Everyone's still breathing? Everyone's still awake? Everyone want to lock your kids in the house and not let them go out anymore or take their phones away and disconnect them from the internet? Man. Questions about any, about any of that at all? Anywhere. Man, again, easy crowd. Um, okay. The information I'm going to give you now is information I did not give them, but I wanted you to have them. Yes? Yeah. Because I don't think um, everyone answered honestly, actually. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yes? Yeah. You know, a kid Google star to look up a star yep. for a report and there they are. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah. I mean that piece is extremely illegal and you know, it's, it's not invited onto our home. Yep. And is there no hope of that ever being found? Does anyone else have an easier question? That might be <laughs> um it's a great question. I'm not aware of, and I study this a lot, um, I'm not aware of any either legislation or technology that is coming down the pipe to um, rid most of that. There's a ton of filters out there. There's all sorts of things like that which get out a large portion of it. Um, there is a big controversy right now about what's called net neutrality, which says you can't govern what's going on on here because it's kind of public domain stuff. And there's lots of people on both sides saying, yes, this has to be monitored, this has to be legislated, it has to be guarded. And other people saying, that's an infringement of my personal rights and da 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 da. And it complicates it because the internet is not a local entity. Um, the same laws that apply to here don't apply to Bangladesh. And someone there can easily upload or post something 
and still have access to it. It's called, it's called the World Wide Web. So trying to find a world jurisdiction, world law, you want to try to, you want to, try to negotiate that? That's just a little crazy. So um, that's some of the complication in some of this. Um, again, we could probably talk for hours about some of this, and I, and I really wish we had some time to do that, sit down at tables and have real good conversations. That would be, a, I think, an enjoyable afternoon. Um, my hope would be tonight I'm, I want you to hear the information I presented to them and to show you the need that's here. There's a lot of more specific questions about what to do about some of this, which again is a whole other presentation that I can do, that I've done, um, and would just be a lot more information, a lot more detail. We're just time-wise, we're just restricted in that, so I apologize. Um, here's some... Here's some information. So I asked some other questions about sexual boundaries, okay? Um, like, what would you call sex? Curious what their definitions are. Out of the options, okay? Kissing, fondling, laying naked, oral sex, or intercourse. So what that means is if, um, you, if they answered laying naked, so laying naked or anything above that, they would consider sex. So anything up to laying naked is not sex. So 10% said, if you're kissing someone, you're having sex. If you are fondling, and again, I know some people didn't know the definition of that, um, but if you are fondling someone, um, you're having sex, 20%, 12%, 42%. The ladies, here's their numbers. Kissing is having sex. Fondling is having sex. Laying naked together is having sex. Oral sex. 10% and intercourse. I'd be curious what answers I get in this room right here if I were to ask that question. How do you define it? I'm pretty positive that we would not all be 100% on one answer. So even amongst adults, this question is um, squishy, which means we gotta, we gotta understand why we have these definitions and where these lines are and, and all sorts of stuff. I'll talk about that more in a minute. So I was curious, okay, maybe I wasn't quite clear on the question, what is sex? So I asked the next question, what is sexual activity? What would you consider being sexual activity? Maybe they weren't clear. Same answers, uh, same, same options of answers, but here's the numbers they gave, which says, again, let's take the laying naked. Um, you can do everything up to laying naked, um, and that isn't sexual activity. So those are the numbers that show there. Laying naked uh, would be sexual activity, but 20% said um, anything before oral sex is not considered sexual activity. Again, interesting definitions. I wish we had more time to go into the details, how they define that and why, but that requires some more in-depth conversation. And so the girls? The girls are showing that um, if you're fondling, then that is considered sexual activity. Laying naked is only 22%, oral sex is 15, and intercourse is 15. So, uh, for, for, to verify what your, your statistics here. Yeah. Correct. Okay. So everything above that or below that. 
<clears throat> which again, if you look at the different definitions, if the ladies are saying, if I'm in a relationship with someone and we are starting to fondle each other, and I'm gonna clarify that, that would be touching erogenous zones, okay, manually with hands. Um, the girl is thinking, well, we are into sexual activity, but what is the guy thinking? His numbers are different. He's going, no, 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 no. We haven't crossed that line yet. We're still higher up here a little bit. <laughs> Which can again start some confusion as to what our expectations and where should we go and what lines do we need to draw and all of those things. And how well do you know the opposite sex? Um, the question I asked is what activities can you participate in and still be considered abstinent? Do we even want to look at the answers? <laughs> we can skip it. We can just go right past it. The guy said, I can be having oral sex and still be considered abstinent. French kissing, all those numbers. These are a little different than the other ones. I can have intercourse and still be considered abstinent. I'm glad that's a zero. That tells me that they might have a little understanding there, but um, I'm allowed to have oral sex and still I'm in the safe zone. I haven't crossed that line yet. The girls? Kissing, French kissing, fondling, laying naked together, and oral sex. Boy, really wish we had some more time just to talk about all of this, but we don't. When, will, or did you have sex for the first time? The guys said, randomly, I'll probably have just random sex, dating, committed relationship, true love is when I'm going to have sex for the first time, engaged, and then the married at 72% for a um, Christian school, not too surprising. I think a lot of them have had that, that understanding and that education. Um, girls aren't having sex randomly, but they are a little bit when they're dating, committed relationship, truly in love, engaged, and then married again. Again, if we look at these numbers, the girl's expectations are one place and the guy's expectations are another, that's gonna create all sorts of confusion when it comes to how to relate to each other physically around each other. Again, they haven't had this information. I have not shared this with them. I did, at the end of the survey, have an opportunity for them to write in questions because I wanted to know what are they wondering? The guys, most of their questions were around sexual slang. What does this word mean? What does that word mean? Not too surprising again. Um, but the girls, predominantly, when do you have it and how do you have it? I'm assuming she's talking about sex. What do I, me as a speaker, what do I think is going too far? Why are boys so sexual? Why is it so important to save sex for marriage? It's a good question, isn't it? I just want all of it to be explained better. Um, what's the basic definition of intercourse? Definitions of different terms and slang words. And then finally, how exactly does the whole wedding night work? <laughs> One of you parents got something to worry about, okay? Because she's already thinking about her wedding. Um, 
Remember that first slide of pretty much 50% of the girls haven't had the talk yet, which means these questions make perfect sense. And they're asked, I think, with some genuineness because um, I'm going to say this carefully if I can and as respectfully as possible. Um, I think the church in general tells a lot of people what not to do but doesn't give them a whole lot of what to do. This is how to do it and do it well. And this is why you do it when and how and all of that stuff. And I think we would serve our children better by instructing them actively and saying, guys, sex is fantastic and I can't wait for you to have it because it is good. It's what God designed. He didn't design us to reproduce in seed pods. It's not how he made it work. He had it work through intercourse. And it is elegant and beautiful and an act of worship when done well. Let me tell you all about it. How many of you had that conversation with your parents? Okay, I think we would probably have lower numbers of those who raised their hands. I'm burdened by these questions, actually. Um, I have a daughter. She's 15, almost 16 years old. So um, I feel bad for her growing up in our household because my occupation and being a counselor, I'm screwing her up in all sorts of different ways. Um, but there's something really enjoyable about being able to have appropriate sexual talk within our home. We joke about it all the time. Okay? And again, appropriate for age levels. We're not turning, telling dirty jokes or anything like that, but it's not a taboo subject. And so there's just this freedom. Um, and it's really, really nice. I want, I, want, I want ladies to understand how valuable and precious they are. I want women to understand that starting from this high, that they should be guarded and protected and valued. Because when they receive that, they view themselves that way and tend to make better choices about themselves because they don't need to go looking for that validation or that care or that, that connection by compromising themselves sexually. We need to answer these questions for the ladies. This needs to be happen. This needs to happen soon. As parents, and again, I think we need to be able to answer the question, why? Why is the line here? Why can't we have sex until this moment? And again, I, if I can, as respectfully as I can, to develop the critical thinking skills, we have to have more than the because God says so answer. And again, I believe in the values, and I think that God is, since he designed us, he knows how we function best. And I think that it's okay to say this is the values that he has established, but then to be able to answer, and here is why. If you drive your car in first gear at 80 miles an hour for an extended period of time, it's not going to function as long. And I think you can explain that, and you can say this is why it's bad to drive your car in first gear for, you know, at 80 miles an hour. Kills the transmission, it heats up the fluid, it runs the engine in the revs, with those explanations, instead of just saying don't do it. For the kids to adopt values, the values have to make sense. It's, and I think that's true for any of us. It's hard 
it's hard for our boss to come in and say, here's the new policy and procedure, you're going to do this. And it complicates your life and it frustrates you and it, and it makes things harder for you. And you say, help me understand why. And he says, because I said so. That instantly causes this questioning and this struggle within us that says it doesn't make sense. And so it's harder for me to honor that um, and to follow through on that. Now, I really want you to hear me. Sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes it is, I can't give the answer. You don't understand. You're not ready to understand this and you just need to obey. That's okay at times. But around these issues for adolescents who have got all these juices flowing within them, they have to have the whys. Remember this slide? If you had questions about sex, who would you ask? Okay, the boys are asking parents, the girls are asking the parents. That tells me that you guys have to give them the whys. You have to be able to explain this. You have to tell them, I know why. Here's, here's the ramifications. Here's how this works. How well do your parents understand the opposite sex? I asked that question. <laughs> Sorry, threw you under the bus. Okay, I really did. It's written on there. How well do you think your parents understand the opposite sex? This is going to be great. We're going to start, uh, I think, right here. Eight. The girls answered my parents. They totally understand the opposite sex. They're at an eight. What do you think the guys answered? Any guesses? We got a two from Phil back there, a four. So we're going low numbers. They're looking to you. They want the answers. They want the interactions. They want the exchanges. Yes? Maybe they do. Yes. But you bring it up the subject. Yes. And, and at least superficially. Yes. They, uh, they don't. Well, superficially. Yeah. Don't talk, don't talk, don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep looking forward. Yeah. What they're saying, though, and what they're doing makes, means that as parents, we have to become wise. We have to become creative. We have to become safe. Here's what I think they might sense. And if I can, again, challenge you in some of the ways. I think there's reasons why we don't talk to our kids about sex. Openly, normally, kind of conversational, you know, just like talking about the weather. Number one is... We've never been taught ourselves. I have a client who um, her sex talk consisted of on the way out the door to the senior prom. Dad says, you know about protection, right? And she goes, yep, Dad. Okay, that was a good meeting. Let's move on. And I think that that story is not unique. Um, we've never been taught ourselves. We have fumbled our way and figured it out and made our own mistakes and carry our own wounds around some of that. Um, and we desperately don't want our children to experience some of that as well. I think the other reason, um, and because I hear this so often, um, especially because of my line of work, but even outside of my line of work, um, if we've been hurt relationally or sexually, um, and it's too uncomfortable approaching anything sexual, um, 
statistics say that one in five guys by the age of 18 have had some sort of unwanted sexual experience. One in five. And for the ladies, one in three. And when we've been hurt personally in those ways, now talking about those, revisiting some of that hurt is so uncomfortable for us that we, we can't take our kids there. It's just too difficult. We can't take people places where we've never been. So if we've never wrestled with our own sexuality, um, it's hard to invite kids there comfortably. Everyone breathing okay? Yes. I tend to find the best conversations, especially with my son, that I have are where it's not a sit down and look each other in the face talk. Brilliant. It's uh, worked into a conversation like I'm not lecturing him, but I'm, you know, I'm able to. Yep. Yep. Nudge it in there. This information to him without. I think I didn't get the. T I didn't get any kind of from my parents. Mm -hmm. And I try and picture what that would have felt like. Yeah. Would have been very embarrassing. Yep. Very uncomfortable. Yep. Because um, you would have picked up on your parents' discomfort, maybe. Oh, um, uh, no doubt. Yeah. 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 I, um, I'm rebuilding a 69 Volkswagen Bug in my garage right now. It's just about done. But when I was rebuilding the brakes on it, I was just standing at the workbench doing some stuff. And my son, 13-year-old son, comes up to me. And um, just we're talking about just everyday stuff. And then all of a sudden, he asks a question, which when I woke up that morning, I didn't expect to have to answer this question. But he says, Dad, how do you know when you've had a wet dream? I'm working on brakes. <laughs> what do you mean? Okay. And so same thing. Don't look them in the eye or else they spook like deer. Okay. You just don't do that. Don't throw the rag down. And exactly. Um, I cleaned that same part for the next 20 minutes. Okay. Didn't need to happen, but I just kept cleaning it. And we just had this conversation right then, right there. Compare that to the, huh, the other client I have. Um, when he got caught, looking at his father's pornography stash. Dad grabs him by the scruff of the neck, throws him on the bed, sits him down, and screams at him, you will never, ever, ever do this again. How dare you, you dirty little ba da ba da ba da Do you think that's sending mixed messages? <laughs> These are my magazines, not yours. And if you do it, you're this way. So you're right, the, the kind of the approach for that. Uh, Again, I really wish we had a lot of time to have some conversation. Um, I have a class called How to Talk the Talk, teaching kids or teaching adults how to, how to breach this conversation, some practical techniques on how to do this. Because sitting them down, leave it to beaver style, you know, with the tie on and now say, okay, now son, we're gonna have a heart to heart right now. Yeah, that doesn't work in today's culture. You might need to text it to them. That might work pretty good, okay? They might, they might get more of it at that point. Um, <laughs> and then you go to jail, exactly. <laughs> All right, don't do that. That's a bad idea. Don't recommend that. Um, but what we're saying is, according to these numbers, 
the curiosity is there and they're looking here. They're wanting to know and I want parents to be equipped to know how to answer those questions. Now, what would be a really interesting evening is to talk about why are the lines where they are? What is the why? What's the reason behind that? Why should you actually wait to have sex for marriage? And again, I know scripture teaches it. I know that is how God designed it. But does anyone really understand the why behind it? Why is it bad to, or detrimental or hurtful to have sex before you're married or with multiple people? Okay, isn't it just biology? I think there's some very good answers for all of those things, but we don't have time. If anyone has questions written down, I can gather those and read those if you want, or if you have questions now, just for discussion. Anyone have questions at all? Yes. So, so what we want them to have is this wisdom, right? Yes. We're trying to instill wisdom in them. Correct. We ourselves have never really been taught that very well. Yes. And so now, my, you know, I've got this dilemma in my brain because I'm always trying to, you know, lay groundwork that is, makes it a, you know, kind of just a casual conversation. Doesn't work very good. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So how do we make that? The question, I guess, with all of that said is, how do we make this this non-taboo subject that is something that is a um, you know a, it doesn't have to be a dirty thing. You know, it could be a, a information gathering. Yeah. There was, was something I saw today. I was going to work. And I, I saw, and I reminded of this from God that I, here I come by the this billboard every day. And on the billboard, here's this girl with her legs around the guy and says, you know, talk to your kids about sex because somebody will. Mm-hmm. I've driven by this thing a million times. I never saw it. And today I saw it coming here. So that yeah. wisdom, I guess, is the, what I'm seeking in terms of why do you, how do you do that? Because I've not, I've not been successful. Yeah. Again, another really good question. Um, Some of that has, um, let me answer it in this way. I know statistically in this room right here, um, some of the women fall into that one in three and some of the men fall into that one in five. Just for the size of this audience, I know that that is a reality in this room. If that wound and that hurt is still interfering with your ability to relate to your children on this level, the kindest thing you can do for your children is to get healthy yourself. It's the oxygen mask principle. Flying in an airplane, you lose cabin pressure, the oxygen masks drop, what do they tell you to do first? You put it on yourself first and then take care of your kids. Becoming healthiest within yourself is probably the kindest thing you can do for your children. And that can happen in a lot of ways. Um, if, there is, if there is issues that you are so uncomfortable, you just don't know what to do with, you sit with someone who is trained in this and can answer those questions for you and give you a roadmap how to navigate through some of that. Some of that can be done on your own through some really good reading, through some um, good programs that are out there within the church, um, things like Celebrate Recovery, um, a couple of things like that, which are Um, kind of a lay ministry for um, becoming healthy, um, not just spiritually, not just spiritual knowledge,
but within our own humanity, because we're both spiritual creatures and human creatures, so healing some of that. That would be the first step, becoming as healthy as possible. And then it's just like any other skill set that if we want to get really good at it, we have to practice it, we have to research it, we have to teach ourselves. So that is gaining, reading, doing some more reading, um, sitting in classes just like this, finding other opportunities to do some of those things, um, and educate yourself. And again, that can be uncomfortable, or you can make that really enjoyable and fun. Hey, honey, can't wait to go to you know the sex class tonight. This is going to be enjoyable. Okay. Uh, in the um, talking the talk series that I do, um, it's very important that parents are able to say the words, and that's really hard for some parents. How to say the biology, and so on the PowerPoint and in things as big as that. I have all the words written down. I have everyone stand as a choir. And then we start to say it. And you can watch people shrink. It's like, I can't believe I just said that in a church. You know, that's it. It's done. But until they can become comfortable just using the words, and again, just the biological terms, um, we aren't going to be able to have those conversations. So we have to wrestle with that first. So if it's important to you, you're going to educate yourself um, and find those opportunities. I think the burden that Damascus Christian School here is having is they're recognizing the need for this and so they are trying to institute some um, some resources you know by me coming and talking to the kids and talking to you so that this area can finally start to be broached in a healthy respectable appropriate way um, can you give us some of those too? I mean you said you have a class or yeah maybe books yeah or yeah I'll give you a freebie, okay? Here's a freebie real fast. Um, the next time the Victoria's Secret commercials come on, okay? I think within Christian communities, it's pretty appropriate and natural, you know, to change the channel or turn your eyes. Again, I understand that, and that is absolutely appropriate and, and, and necessary. But what would it be like to say, let's watch this commercial together, and what are they communicating, and what are they saying? And it is constructive exposure, shall we say. And again, you're not, you're not using it in inappropriate ways, but it's saying this is the world we're in. This is the media that you are learning from. This is what you are hearing, seeing, and now I'm in that with you. And you're not alone anymore. And we're not going to just ignore it and not talk about it anymore. Because you see it, because I see it, because we all struggle with these things, let's actually start talking about it. And when you as a parent can start to lead those conversations, it now makes it more comfortable for your kids to, to talk about that, and it takes the charge off of it. Now it's like, oh my gosh, no more, okay? It's now, oh, here it is, I know why this is inappropriate, and I choose. I choose to change the channel. But it requires, again, purposeful conversation and time around that. I have another um, counselor friend, he had a client who told the story that when he was a kid, um, he had a Playboy stashed, you know, between the mattresses and stuff, and one day he came home and mom was sitting on the couch flipping through this Playboy. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine just that your heart stops and freezes? And so he sees this and dashes for the bedroom. And just about when he's there, you know, mom goes, oh, Johnny, oh. He comes back, slinks back into the living room. You know, Mom? Okay. Would you come sit down here for a minute, please? And so he does. And so together, Mom and son 
flip through this magazine and she does exactly what I just described. Wow, I just want to let you know, this isn't what most women look like, okay? This is, <laughs> wow, I didn't know you could do that kind of things. Um, <laughs> and here's what this communicates and here's how this makes me feel. And this is how it makes other women feel. And then again, brilliantly, we're at the end now. Would you like this back? <laughs> no thanks, mom, you can have, okay, I'll be glad to take that from you. He never forgot it. And he learned more in 10 minutes sitting with mom in, a, in an experience that he never ever imagined he ha would have. And mom was remarkably gracious and respectful and appropriate and wise. That's what I want you guys to be. But that's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's like, wow, can we really do that? Is that how we're supposed to do it? I don't know. Yes? Um, I will. How about I email those to Phil and then you can bug Phil. Okay. Would that be all right? Would that be okay? Awesome. Um, yeah. Yes, ma'am. It's, it's difficult to do in a broad um, venue. That's why, again, the importance is for parents, and that's where the kids are turning to. They want to hear from their parents primarily. Um, and we have to look for those natural signs. Again, um, if, if your kids just have never asked the question, they don't appear to be doing anything that would be sexually compromising or questionable, you probably aren't ready to have that conversation. But when they do come home and they say, Dad, what's this word mean? Okay, now you know that they've been exposed to it in some place, in some way, and you get the privilege to, to guide them there. Um, when one of my sons was turning nine, 10, wow, was it that long ago? We'll say 10, that sounds better. Um, he came home and started asking questions about swear words. And again, he's hearing them at school, it's normal, he just you know, walks around the block and he hears them. So he recently he had gotten a uh, wrist rocket, like a slingshot kind of thing. And at the time I was doing some work up on Mount Hood. Um, and so him and I, he went up there one day with me and I said, hey, let's go for a walk. And we went and we sat down. I said, I want you to find a good, good rock. So he looks around, finds a good rock, puts it in the slingshot, pulls it back. I said, I want you to fire it into the forest, okay? I want you to, you know, fling it out there. Flings it out there, okay? Fires it off. And I said, now, give me your slingshot. Go find the rock. And he did, which was actually kind of funny to watch. Okay, go find it. Keep looking. You, you'll get it. He goes out there. You know, he'll never going to find this rock. Come on back. Come on back. And I said, son, words are just like this. Once you put them out there, you can't get them back. You can't ever find them. And you've been asking questions about these swear words. 
I want you to hear from me what they mean and when it's appropriate to use them and when it's not appropriate to use them. And so I exposed him to every swear word I knew, even the big ones. And here's what they mean, and here's why they're used, and here's why they're inappropriate, and here's how they're disrespectful, and here's when it might be an appropriate time to use it, and, you know, all of that. He heard all of that from me first, which means now he comes home, goes, yep, I heard that one, no big deal. And it takes the charge off of it. And he gets to adopt that value within himself because, again, it's just normalized. So you look for the natural timing, I would argue. And within a large venue, it's difficult to, to you know, hit everyone exactly where they're at. So it's, it's, there's no perfect model. I wish there was. Yes. All right. Okay, so he got the message. Excellent. What's even more ironic is Friday morning when I left, I got in my car, I called Phil because I turned on OPB, and they were at Benson High School or Grant High School having this exact same conversation. They were interviewing students. What do you think? They were talking about Measure 73. They were talking about all those things. It is a relevant issue right now, and it is important to talk about it. The media is talking about it. It's in newspapers. And I will say that congratulations. Within a Christian school, it's also being discussed and talked about. And so the students are aware of that and um, are informed so that they can now make their own decisions. So. I'm glad that the school has, has taken an active role in this. But you're right. That makes my heart feel good because I want there to be discussion. Uh, I know that there was lots of conversations among students after this. Um, that critical thinking piece is incredibly important. I want them to be able to make decisions for themselves. My goal is by 17, I want my kids to be completely independent of me, meaning they don't need me. They stay around because they like me, not because they have to. Okay, I want them to know how to pay rent. I don't want them to know how to change their oil. I want them to know how to have healthy relationships, what to look for in a guy, what to look for in a girl. 17, that's all I get. Okay, I'm close with one of my daughters before my time, my time is up. My sons are coming up behind. So you actively parent. Try to equip them. Find any way you can. Okay? I see the clock is 8.31, and I want to respect your time. So um, if there's more questions, uh, you're welcome to just sit and have some conversation. But for those who want to leave, um, you can do so, and it doesn't have to be embarrassing. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit paulelmore.com.